Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash pandemic. Chapter 19 Day 9 The Front Desk Yelling from outside the room. Cooper yawned. He sat up in bed. The room was pitch black. He was still coming out of sleep, but damn, he felt a hundred percent better. Just not being sick made him instantly happy, giddy at feeling normal once again. Another yell from the hall, then silence. Cooper thought of the scene on the street, one cop burning, another cop shooting a man, then making out with him, a woman crawling across the sidewalk, leaving a trail of blood. He sat very still, listening for anything, hearing nothing. What time was it? That question made him remember Jeff throwing the clock against the wall. Sick Jeff. Angry Jeff. Cooper quietly felt around the nightstand, searching for his cell phone. He found it, turned away from Jeff so the light wouldn't cause problems, then checked the time. 8.45 a.m. He'd slept through the night. Had Jeff slept too? Cooper slowly moved his phone so the display's illumination lit up the bed next to him. It was empty. He turned on the nightstand lamp. He blinked at the sudden light. On the floor below the TV, Jeff's ACDC shirt and his jeans, gone. Cooper quietly stood, walked to the closed bathroom door. Jeff, he said in a whisper, there's some shit going down in the hall. No answer. Cooper opened the door. The bathroom was empty. Where the hell was Jeff? He quietly walked to the room's main door, careful not to make any noise. He leaned into the peephole and looked out. There was a teenager lying there, bleeding from a gash in his forehead. The kid moved weakly, unfocused eyes staring up at nothing. Cooper automatically reached for the door handle, but stopped when he saw a flicker of motion. Through the peephole's fisheye lens, another teenager stepped into view, then another. One grabbed the fallen one's feet. The other reached under his shoulders. They lifted. Cooper again started to open the door to see if he could help, but one of the teenagers turned his head sharply. Wild eyes stared right at Cooper. He felt a blast of fear, something that rooted him to the spot. He dare not move, not even to step away from the peephole. Was the teenager looking at him? No. No one could see through a peephole, not from that far away. Maybe Cooper had made a noise. Not knowing why the teenager scared him so bad, Cooper stayed perfectly still. He didn't even breathe. The boy said something to his friend. They carried the fallen one down the hall, out of sight. Cooper ran to the hotel phone. He stabbed the button marked front desk. The phone on the other end rang ten times before a woman answered. Hello, this is Carmella. I need security, Cooper said. No, just call the cops. There was a hurt kid up here. Maybe there was a fight. They took him. And I give a shit why. 
Cooper blinked. Ah, uh, didn't you hear me? I think that kid was hurt. He had a head wound. There's a lot of that going around. Fuck you very much. She hung up. Cooper stared at the handset for a moment, then felt stupid for doing so and put it back in the cradle. He looked at his cell, dialed nine, then one, then paused. Those cops in the street, shooting people. Were more cops like that? Maybe all of them? Maybe calling 911 wasn't such a good idea. He heard sirens coming up from the street. He walked to the window and pulled back the heavy curtains. For the second time in a handful of seconds, what he saw stunned him. Chicago burned. He saw flames rising high from the windows of two skyscrapers. Down on the street, people scrambled in all directions. There were four fire engines, but only one had a crew that was trying to fight the fires. The other three trucks seemed to be abandoned. And no, people weren't scrambling down there. They were chasing. They were fighting. A black car turned the corner, completely out of control. It skidded across cold pavement and skipped up onto the sidewalk, where it plowed into an old man. The man flew back a few feet, then vanished below the still-moving black car. Cooper heard the now-familiar, distant snap of a gunshot, but he couldn't see where it came from. Chaos down on the street. Bloody teenagers in the hall. The front desk lady didn't sound like she was dealing with a full deck. Jeff, gone. And Steve Stanton. Was Steve okay? Cooper vaguely remembered Steve was on another floor, but he had no idea what the room number was. He couldn't worry about Steve right now. Finding his best friend was all that mattered. Cooper looked at the nightstand, seeing if Jeff had left his cell phone. It was gone. He looked to the room's lone chair. Jeff's coat was there. Cooper's piled on top. It was freezing outside. Maybe Jeff was still in the building. He dialed Jeff's number. On the other end, Jeff's cell rang and rang. Shit, bro, pick up. On the seventh ring, Jeff answered. Coop? A surge of relief at hearing his voice. Jeff, dude, where are you? Shit is going off outside. I don't know what's happening, but we need to bail the hell out of Chicago. We have to get to the Mary Ellen and get out of here. Jeff said nothing. Jeff, talk to me. Where are you, man? Not sure. His voice sounded so deep, racked with pain and confusion. Jeff, just tell me where you are. I'll come get you. Are you in the hotel? Hotel? Yes, the Trump Tower. Where we're staying? Are you in the building? Cooper waited for an answer. Jeff sounded like he was on the edge of passing out. Yeah, he said finally. Ah, uh, basement. Basement? Good, Jeff. Where in the basement? Focus, brother. Focus. I'll come get you. Look around and tell me what you see. It hurts, Jeff said. Goop. It hurts. Okay, I hear you, but tell me where you are, buddy. The phone went silent, the connection broken. Cooper immediately dialed again. The phone rang and kept ringing 
until voicemail answered. This is Jeff Brockman of Jeff Brockman Salvage, and if you've got the bills, we've got the skills. Leave a message, and we'll get back at you pronto. The message beeped. You stupid dickhead, call me back the second you get this and tell me where you are. Cooper hung up, then immediately called again, only to get voicemail for the second time. The basement. That narrowed things down, at least. Cooper got dressed. As he did, he caught a reflection of himself in the room's mirror. That blister on his shoulder was gone, just a red spot now. He took a closer look. No, not gone. Broken open. A shred of weak, torn skin dangled from the edge. No wetness, though. It looked like something had puffed it up like a balloon. Then the balloon popped. He quickly examined himself in the mirror. He had more of the blisters. On his chest, his hip, below his right knee. Something left over from whatever had made him sick. An allergic reaction to detergents in the hotel's sheets. The blisters didn't hurt, and he didn't have time to worry about them. He dressed. He grabbed his coat and also Jeff's for good measure. If they had to go outside in the bitter Chicago cold, they'd both need to stay warm. Cooper walked to the door, reached down to open it, then stopped. He looked out the peephole again, half expecting the teenage kid to be staring right back at him. Nothing there. Nothing except for a little red streak on the far wall where the first teenage kid had fallen. A streak of blood. Cooper took a deep breath, steeled himself. He opened the door and stepped into the empty hall. He had to find Jeff. Jeff first, then maybe the two of them could track down Steve. Until then, Cooper hoped Steve Stanton could fend for himself. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. 
As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Chapter 20 Follow Me Steve Stanton strapped on his two laptop bags stuffed with three laptops. He stepped out of his room on the Trump Tower's 17th floor. Anger coursed through his body, set every muscle cell on edge. He felt an almost overpowering urge to smash a human's head in, find a brick and crack the skull open so he could get at the brains, pull them out, stomp them, and... His own thought played back in his head. Smash a human's head in. Why had he thought of it like that? Why hadn't he thought of the word person, or man, or even woman? Why? Because Steve Stanton was no longer human. Not at all. Humans were the enemy. He heard a scream coming from the right, around a corner and farther down the hall. He walked toward that scream. Steve turned the corner. He saw a shirtless, middle-aged man dressed in tan slacks. The man's belly hung over his belt. He wore no shoes. He stood above a woman in a torn red dress. Steve assumed the two red sandals scattered nearby belonged to her. She was on her butt, one hand behind her, the other raised up, palm out. Morris! Stop hitting me, for God's sake! In response, the man, Morris, Steve assumed, reared back and kicked the woman in the thigh. The woman let out another scream. She rolled to her hands and knees and tried to crawl away. Morris reached down and grabbed her right ankle, yanked her back. The woman fell flat on her stomach, arms out in front of her. Morris grabbed her hip and flipped her over. Before she could say another word, he pressed his bare foot hard against her neck. His face scrunched into a confused mask of rage. She twisted, turned her lower body, tried to kick. She grabbed at Morris's foot, clawed at it her purple fingernails leaving crisscross streaks of ragged red on his skin. But the foot did not move. The man leaned lower, rested his forearms on the knee of the leg pressing down on her neck. How about that toilet seat now, Sybil? How about that fucking goddamn cunty toilet seat now, you ball-busting, dried-up pussy bitch? I guess you shouldn't have nagged me about putting it down, huh? Ha! Steve walked closer. The man seemed entirely focused on the struggling woman. There was a bluish triangular growth on the man's chest, under his skin just left of the sternum, and another on the right side of his belly. Steve stopped cold. Something in the air. A smell. He breathed deep into his nose. He recognized that scent, even though he'd never smelled it before. He sniffed again. The man had the scent, but not the woman. The triangles. That smell. He is my kind. He is me. The man, Morris, was staring at Steve. Hi, Morris said. You, uh, you want to help with this? In that instant, so many things became clear. Morris was nothing but an ugly husk meant to carry infinite beauty. Beauty that would soon break free of his body, leaving him a dead shell. Morris was stupid. Steve was smart. You'll do what I tell you to do, Steve said. 
Morris didn't take his foot off the squirming woman's neck, but his eyes narrowed as he tried to understand. He nodded. Yeah, he said. Yeah, you're right. I'll do what you tell me to do. The woman yelled, fought with renewed energy. She clawed and ripped. Her fingernails turned Morris's foot into a ragged mess that splashed blood on her face and chest. This man would do what Steve said. Steve felt it. So much happening all at once. Steve thought back on a lifetime of not standing up for himself, of staying quiet, of avoiding conflict or embarrassment. His circumstances had denied him his birthright. He was brilliant. He was a genius. His destiny was more than wrapping knives and forks in fucking napkins. Steve Stanton had been born to rule. He nodded toward the woman, the human woman. Morris, do something about her. Morris looked down at the bloody mess of a foot. He pressed it down harder. The woman stopped fighting. She drew in wet, broken hisses of air. The man looked back to Steve, hope blazing in his wide eyes. Can I kill her? She was always bitching about everything. Like the goddamn toilet seat. Like she's such a helpless princess, she can't reach a finger out and tip the goddamn thing forward. Can I kill her? Can I? Steve stepped closer and looked down at the woman. Her wide eyes pleaded for help. In those eyes, Steve saw fear. She was afraid, because she wasn't him, and he wasn't her. She was human. Kill her. Morris pumped a fist like he'd just scored a goal in hockey. Fuck yeah! He screamed down at his wife. You should have been nicer to me, you nagging bitch! You should have been nicer! He raised the bloody foot then slammed it back down again, heel first into her throat. She grunted. She stiffened. Her arms and legs twitched. Morris stomped again and again. Steve watched. The woman stopped moving. Wide, dead eyes stared out. Her throat was a real mess. Steve took off his laptop bags, set them on the floor. Carry those, he said. We have to find more friends. And after that, I think we need to find a place for you to lie down. Steve reached out, his fingertips tracing the firm outline of the hard, bluish triangle on the man's chest. Tomorrow, I think. Tomorrow, something wonderful happens to you. Chapter 21 The Boiler Room Cooper moved down the concrete and metal stairwell. He kept one hand on the rough, unfinished walls. In the other, he carried Jeff's coat. He moved slowly. He didn't want to make any noise, because every time he passed a landing, he heard plenty of noise coming from beyond the heavy, reddish-brown metal doors. Yelling, shouting, screams of rage, screams of pain, and laughter. The kind of laughter only insane people made. Three times he'd heard another kind of sound, a sound that damn near made him piss his pants. Twice from below, and once from above, he'd heard the sound of a metal door opening and slamming against a landing wall. 
the echoing of a laughing, screaming, giggling, yelling man or woman running into the stairwell. Cooper had held his breath, waiting for them to come his way. But all three times he'd been lucky, and they'd gone in the opposite direction. He reached the first floor. Past the heavy fire door, he heard more noise than he'd heard on any floor before it. He briefly thought about opening the door and taking a peek, but a line from some old book popped into his head. When you look into the void, the void looks back into you, or something like that. All that mattered right now was tracking down his friend. Together they would find a place to hide until the cops or the National Guard or whatever came to make everything safe again. Cooper moved down another flight to what had to be the basement level, then down again until the steps ended on a flat, concrete floor. He'd reached the sub-basement. Might as well start here and work his way up. Cooper put his ear to the landing door's cool metal. He heard nothing. He thumbed the door's lever, quietly pulled the door open. The empty hallway looked like a service area. More concrete floor, but here it was smoother, slightly polished. White walls with bumpers on the bottom, black marks on the walls where carts had scraped against them. He stepped into the hallway, slowed the automatic doors closing until it clicked shut with the tiniest snick of metal on metal. Cooper looked at his cell phone. Still one bar. He dialed Jeff's number. He held the phone to his ear only long enough to make sure it was ringing, then lowered it, pressed it against his thigh to mute that sound. For all the commotion going on upstairs, it was very still down here, still and quiet, like a tomb. He listened. He held his breath. Come on, dude, where are you? And then, very faint, a sound so thin he wondered if he was imagining it, the crunching guitar chords of ACDC's Highway to Hell, Jeff's ringtone. Cooper turned in place, trying to nail down the direction. There, halfway down the hall, a pair of white, windowless metal doors. He walked to them, looking left, looking right, listening for any sound that might warn him of company. Somewhere, around a corner, a door smashed open, echoing through the concrete hallways. Cooper heard a man screaming in anger, Cut you! Cut you up! Run, motherfucker! The yelling grew louder. Shit, the man was coming his way. Cooper thumbed the left-hand door's latch and yanked it open. He quickly stepped inside a poorly lit area, quietly pulled the door closed behind him. He turned, letting his eyes adjust to the low light. And when they did, he found himself facing a smiling bald man sitting on a folding metal chair. A single overhead light lit up that man's white shirt, played off his pink head. He wore a patterned tie loosened at the neck, black slacks, sleeves rolled up to his elbows. The clothes and his beer guts screamed, conventioneer from Wisconsin. Hello, the man said. Ah, Cooper said. Hi. Cooper quickly looked around, got his bearings. He was in a boiler room. On his right, Two big metal tanks on concrete footings. The tanks needed a fresh coat of paint. Gray enamel bubbled here and there, had been scraped away in others. The size of the tanks held his attention for a moment. It figured a large hotel like this would need a ton of hot water. But that wasn't something you thought of when you checked into the Trump swank lobby. Farther back in the room, just one other light glowed. There were dozens of dangling light fixtures, 
but none of them were on. Most of the bulbs looked broken. The man stood. His chair slid back an inch, the scraping sound echoing off the boiler room's concrete walls. He took in a long, slow breath through his nose, then exhaled out his mouth in a cheek-puffing expression of relief. Can I help you? he said. His eyes. There was something off in them. The man radiated excitement, like he wanted to jump and dance and scream. Yet he stood stock still. Ah, uh, no thanks, Cooper said. I'm just looking for my friend. The bald man smiled. He nodded. A friend of yours is a friend of mine. We're all friends now, right? Cooper didn't know what to say. What was this man's deal? Something about his eyes, how they glowed with intensity, with joy. Joy, yes, but something else as well. This man looked more than a little crazy. The dangerous kind of crazy. Sure, buddy, Cooper said. We're all besties, whatever you want. Uh, my friend is six two, about 200 pounds, looks like he's 40. Cooper tapped his own left shoulder. Brown hair, about to hear? The smiling man smiled some more. His front right tooth looked chipped. There was a fresh cut on his lip, the flesh torn and exposed. Cooper wondered if the two wounds happened with the same punch. I've seen a lot of people, the man said. A lot of people came down to the basement. Some left, some stayed. Cooper quickly looked left, right. Were there others down here? He'd been scared in the stairwell, but he'd been alone. Now his stomach pinched and twirled. His hands shook. This was a bad scene, as bad as bad got. He had to get out of there, but he wasn't leaving without Jeff. He lifted his phone to dial Jeff's cell again, but saw that he had zero bars. No connection in the boiler room. Cooper put the phone in his pocket. See anyone wearing an ACDC t-shirt? A black one? The bald man nodded. Oh, sure. That guy's here. He's resting. Cooper's heart raced. He could get his friend and get the hell out of there. Leave this two-card shy of a full-deck Wisconsinite behind. Cooper forced a smile. Can you show me? I'd appreciate it. Sure, the bald man said. We're all friends now, right? All friends. Total BFFs. Huh? BFF? We're friends, I mean. Show me. The man walked deeper into the poorly lit basement, past the gray boilers. Cooper hesitated. This was a mistake. He was going to follow a strange, whacked-out man into Freddy Krueger's home turf? You fucking owe me, Jeff. I hope you're okay so I can kill you myself. Cooper followed the bald man in the blood-speckled white shirt. As he walked, he scanned left and right again, and he saw shapes. Shapes back in the shadows, where the floor met the wall, around and even underneath the boilers. The shapes were... people. Sleeping people covered in dark blankets, maybe? There were two more smaller boilers beyond the first pair. After the last boiler, the white-shirted man stopped and turned. He smiled that something-is-wrong-with-me smile, then gestured toward a bulky shape, covered in a blanket, 
resting at the base of the cinder block wall. It took Cooper a moment to see something in that shape, to see a person's face, Jeff's face, his best friend in all the world, his business partner, his brother, and yet the sight of him suddenly repulsed Cooper. Jeff's face looked bigger, swollen, sweaty, with big threads from that blanket clinging to his jaw, his cheeks, and the body beneath that blanket, bloated, misshapen, too large. Something deep inside of Cooper told him to stay the fuck away from Jeff. No, not just stay away, more like turn and haul ass out of there. No, he would not leave. That was his friend. Jeff was sick, really sick, obviously, something way beyond drinking himself halfway into a coma and finding a quiet place to pass out. Cooper took a step closer, leaving the strange man facing his back. Those threads on Jeff's face, they weren't threads, because it wasn't a blanket. Jeff was encrusted in some kind of dark brown clay, or maybe a stiff foam. His eyes were closed, his mouth was open. The material curved up over his left cheek, split into tendrils that threaded up into his hair. A twisted delta of that strange mud cupped Jeff's head like a mother cradling a child. Then Cooper saw something that took his mind a moment to register. Half covered by that material, there were two left hands. No, three of them. There were two people in there with Jeff. Two small people. Cooper saw a shoeless, skinless foot sticking out. A foot with black, shriveled skin. Almost like the foot of a mummy. Cooper's chest tightened and tingled. Was Jeff dead? No. His lips were moving, just slightly. He was still breathing. Jeff, Cooper said. Bro, can you hear me? Of course he can't, said the bald man. His words faded away into the boiler room shadows. The situation hit Cooper with a sudden, gripping clarity. A city going crazy, and he was in a dark basement. A strange man with a psycho grin standing right behind him. Had this man put Jeff here? Had he covered Jeff and those other people with this brown goop? Cooper turned, looked at the chipped-toothed smile. He pointed down at Jeff. What is that stuff all over him? The man shrugged. I don't know. That's how it's done, I guess. I'm just supposed to watch and make sure they're safe. Safe from what? The man's eyes narrowed. He sniffed again, twice, like a dog checking something out. <sighs> Safe from people who are not our friends. Friends. Out of the bald man's mouth, the word sounded heavy, important. It sounded religious. Cooper squatted in front of Jeff, forced himself to reach for his friend. Then he pulled his hand back. What if that brown shit was some kind of disease... What if it was contagious? Could it be part of what Blackman had been babbling about on TV? He had to call an ambulance. But if he did, would one come? The world outside had melted down. Cooper couldn't count on help from anyone. Jeff needed him, and needed him right now. Cooper reached out with his index finger, pointed it, poked the tip into the brown material. 
It felt like a crunchy sponge. Hey, said the man behind him. You're not supposed to touch that. Never supposed to touch that. Cooper stood and turned. You said you didn't know what this crap is. The man's smile faded. Maybe I was wrong. The hair stood up on Cooper's neck. To his left, the bulky hot boiler. To his right, heavy shadows that hid the rest of the basement. This crazy fuck blocked his path to the door. Uh, wrong about what? About you being my friend. The man's hand shot out, reaching for Cooper's neck. Cooper flinched away. His heels hit Jeff. Cooper fell backward against the cinder block wall, slid down it until his ass landed on the pile of bodies. He tried to scramble up, but the bald man's hand slammed into his throat, wrapped around his neck. Strong thumbs pushed hard into Cooper's windpipe. He couldn't breathe. The man leaned in hard, his weight keeping Cooper pressed down on Jeff, the other bodies, and the crunchy material that covered them. Just give us a smooch, the man said. It'll be okay. He opened his mouth and bent closer. The overhead lights cast the man's face in shadow, but not so much that Cooper couldn't see the wide eyes, pupils so big they looked like dimes, the strand of spit stringing from the upper lip to the lower, and the man's tongue, pink, dotted with tiny blue triangles. What the fuck? Oh, God! Oh, God! Cooper's hand shot up and grabbed the man's face. Thumb tips drove deep into the man's eyes with a pop and a squelch and a burst of hot wetness. The man released Cooper's throat, flailed at Cooper's hands. Cooper shoved him away. The man fell back into the aisle, his ass landing on concrete, his hands covering ruined eyes that spilled blood onto his white shirt. The sound he made. It was like an obese cat crying for food. Cooper coughed drew in air, pushed himself to his feet. His wet thumbs were already cooling in the basement air. He quickly wiped them off against his pants legs, horrified at what was on his skin. He had to get out of there. Cooper turned to face his friend. Jeff hadn't moved a muscle. Neither had the other two people hidden beneath the brown material. Jeff! Dude, wake the fuck up! Cooper went to grab Jeff's shirt to shake him actually touched the brown stuff before his hands retreated on their own as if they touched a man-sized spider. Gloves. He needed gloves, something to cover his hands. No, too late for that. He already had flecks and chunks of the brown stuff on his fingers, and he could feel pieces of it on his neck and face. Cooper fought back revulsion as he grabbed at the brown material and tried to pull it off his friend. It was some kind of membrane a thick sheet that didn't want to be ripped free. Little tendrils were anchored tight to the cinder block like roots of crawling ivy. It felt like touching wet wood, so black and rotted that it squished more than crunched. Cooper pushed his fingers through it, down around Jeff's shoulder, and yanked. Jeff remained covered in the membrane, but at least Cooper had pulled him free of the wall. Cooper felt two strong hands locked down on his right ankle, he started to turn, to kick out, but before he could, he felt the hard sting of something biting his calf through his jeans. He looked down to see the bald man, hollow holes for eyes, white teeth locked on dark denim that was already growing darker with spreading blood. 
Cooper raised his right fist high, twisted as he brought it down on top of the man's head. The man quivered, but didn't let go. Cooper reached down with both hands and gripped hard on the back of the man's neck. He yanked, felt a deeper pain as the man's teeth tore free. Cooper flung the man onto his back, straddled him, then wrapped his hands around the man's throat and squeezed. And how do you like it, motherfucker? Squeeze. Just keep squeezing and never stop. And never stop until you die, motherfucker, until you die. The man's blue-dotted tongue stuck out. He made noises that might have been a desperate effort to draw air. The bloody mess of two ruptured eyes still managed to squint in agony, eyelids sagging in against the negative space. Cooper felt the man's life slip away, so he squeezed some more. He didn't know how long it was until he felt his hands weaken, the muscles exhausted, until they could no longer keep up the crushing pressure. Cooper stood, chest heaving, he heard the sound of his own ragged breaths. Had he just killed someone? No. No, no, the man couldn't be dead. This couldn't be happening. It wasn't real. It wasn't real. What was going on? The craziness out in the streets, in the hotel. And now this. And Jeff. Cooper stumbled back to his friend. Jeff still hadn't moved. He lay there covered in that blasphemous rot. The sounds of metal doors slamming open echoed through the room. The boiler blocked a view of the door, but the sound of shoe soles slapping against concrete told Cooper people were coming fast. He had to hide. There was only one place to hide. Cooper quickly and quietly slid between Jeff Brockman and the wall. Jeff's body felt hot, as if his fever had magnified a hundred times. Cooper slid down on his right side, pulled on Jeff so his friend's back once again rested against the cinder block wall. Cooper tried not to think about the other two people under the membrane. Rushing footsteps coming closer. It was a shit hiding place. It wouldn't work. They were going to kill him and strangle him, but it was all he had. Through a small rip in the membrane, he could see part of the concrete floor, could see the foot and leg of the dead bald man. Maybe it's dark enough. Maybe they won't touch Jeff because they're not supposed to touch. Never supposed to touch. Maybe. Three sets of feet stepped into view. Red sneakers, a pair of shiny polished shoes, a pair of brown loafers. The heels of the polished shoes rose up. Someone was kneeling over the bald man's body. He's dead, a voice said. Where's the killer? Said another. The feet moved. Shoes pointed in new directions as people looked around the boiler room. I don't see anyone, the first man said. Should we check the cocoons, said another. Check them for what? We don't even know what's happening in there. We're not supposed to touch. Never supposed to touch, a woman said. The first voice spoke again. Someone who is not a friend is around here somewhere. Let's go tell Stanton. Stanton? Had Cooper heard that right? The shoes moved away, slowly, but it only took a couple of steps before they were gone from Cooper's view. He lay there, under his best friend and the two people packed in with his best friend, all of them covered in God knew what, trying not to make the slightest noise that would bring men who wanted to kill him. Kill him because he wasn't a friend. Cocoon. 
That's what they called the membrane? A fucking cocoon? What did that mean? A cocoon. A caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Was Jeff changing into something else? Cooper closed his eyes, tried to breathe as quietly as he could. If Jeff was changing, what would he become? And how long did Cooper have before it happened? You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.